All right, we're going to get started here. Um, we are on our third teaching here of Tabernacles. Uh, we've had a good time with uh, a number of people camping out and campfires and uh, just visiting throughout the day and some people doing their own thing and whatnot. So it's been really good to, to kind of remember and celebrate this. Um, we are just kind of walking through different aspects of the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot, seeing different parts of it. Now tonight I'm going to keep it short because I know that we have food afterwards and I do not want too many hangry people at me. So um, remember this is a week-long festival with an eighth day added on to it. And that eighth day is going to be very important when we see what Jesus does. And uh, again, this is something the scriptures say on the eighth day to do. And so we're celebrating God's deliverance. This is when it was given to Israel, was after they were delivered out of Egypt. Then they, they lived in tabernacles or sukkahs. They had no permanent home, and they had to rely on the Lord to take care of them. And maybe there's a day coming when that's going to be the case for us, where we lose our homes. We uh, have to be nomads, you might say, and we're going to have to trust the Lord to provide. And those are things to keep in mind as well, as in addition to the, the celebration of His coming back, we're remembering His faithfulness in deliverance, and that we are able to trust and not be afraid. Um, I know that somebody called me today and they said, I, I think this is it, that you know, they have to get mandatory testing if they don't get the shot, and they, she's going to have to do it three times a week. And she has to pay for it, is what the hospital is making them do. So maybe this, I don't know. Point being, though, is regardless of what goes on in our life, it could be a number of situations. We could just lose our job, anything like that. So we trust in God. That's the key. So anyway, with that, let's get started here on Second Peter chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. You see, an eighth day is a picture of a new beginning. Uh, in many cases, some people have said that the eighth day was the beginning of creation because God created in six days, he rested on the seventh, and then everything began. So it was a new beginning at the time of creation. And so there's that picture here as well. We've said that a day is like a thousand years, that maybe each day of creation is a pattern of a thousand years of history. And so what happens is that we have six days of creation, a thousand-year millennial reign talked about of Revelation chapter 20. And then it's a new, you have a new heaven and a new earth that come about at that time. So we have a thousand-year period, perhaps, before the new Jerusalem. Us being carried to Jerusalem, being God being a hoopah over Jerusalem, is not heaven. That is on the way to the promised land. Just like Israel, when they were delivered out, it was on the way they were living in Sukkot until they got to go into the promised land. All right? So anyway, that's a, a, an analogy, a picture that may be seen here. But it says, Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The world is going away. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth 
righteousness. That's what we look forward to right there. Now, this is a side note. Many of you have heard this before, but this whole idea of the heavens and the earth being going away with a great noise, some translations say. Here it says, being on fire shall be dissolved. Um, a great noise does seem to be kind of in the Greek of this, that it's going to just gone. And I say a lot about anything, a rock, a phone, whatever you pick up, it's made up of atoms. Atoms have energy. Energy is movement. Inside those atoms, there's protons, electrons, neutrons are spinning, they're moving. That's energy. Where does that come from? It can only come from God. Okay, Hebrews, as well as, uh, I believe, Colossians talks about Jesus holds all things together. He sustains all things. In Genesis, at the beginning, we see he's hovering over the waters, and as a result, there's an energizing movement. The Holy Spirit is that energizing movement. God fills the universe, and I'm not getting all new age on you, but there's some truth to that, that there is energy in all things. The question is, what is that energy? Okay, now I don't believe you can tap into that energy, and if you wear your crystals and you do all that kind of, no, that is wrong. You tap into God and His wisdom and His word, and that is the source of sustenance. We see that mentioned all the time throughout Scripture, that God's word brings healing to the bones, all of that. Not by wearing a cross or getting vibrations from that, but by a relationship with Jesus Christ in that uh, understanding and relationship of the Holy Spirit. So, if all of a sudden the atoms in this phone would stop moving, what would happen to this phone? Yeah, I, I used to always think, picture it almost like just going into dust, but that can't be because dust is made up of what? Atoms. The only thing that makes sense to me is almost like nuclear. When the atoms and the energy in them stop, I think Second Peter is what's going to happen. Everything's going to go away with a great noise. So I believe in the Big Bang. It's coming. It has not happened, but it's coming. So when that comes, will it be in Jerusalem and No, afterwards. Oh, yeah. This is after the, uh, on the eighth day. To start the eighth day, the heavens and the earth will be destroyed. Then a new earth and a new heaven are made. So where will we be when the Big Bang comes? We will be spiritual. It won't affect won't affect you. I don't understand all the details. That we're going to have to find out when, when it happens. So, we read in Deuteronomy 31, verse 10 and 12 through 12, Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years, so here's the end of that seven-year period, in the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles. Now take note, this is at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. That's important, because what's going to happen? Well, first of all, it's the end of the seven years. And then, when all Israel has come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law. In, in Hebrew, it's Torah. You shall read the Torah. In other words, the pattern is this. Every seven years, you're supposed to be gathered to Jerusalem. And when you're gathered to Jerusalem, the Torah is to be read. And it goes out from Jerusalem before all Israel and their hearing. It says, Gather the people together, men and women and children, and thy stranger that is within thy gates, 
foreigners, nations. Remember, this is called the Feast of Nations. This is when nations are invited into your sukkah. And it says that they may hear, that they may learn, and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. We've talked about before, where does fear come from? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but where does it get, where do you get it? The law of the Lord produces fear. The word of God produces fear. But the point is, is you're supposed to be gathered together so that Torah goes out so that you hear it, learn it, and do it. Those are the three things that are supposed to take place at the Feast of Tabernacles. This is why during Sukkot, Torah is a big focus of Torah or of, of Sukkot because that is what is a focus of this festival. The Word of God going out, convicting the hearts, not so that you have to repent. We've gone through that with atonement. You see, the law isn't just to like beat you down and make you feel bad about your sins and condemn you. Jesus took care of those things, but now there's the good part of the law. Even at tabernacles, even after atonement has been made, forgiveness, judgment day, the picture of judgment day has taken place, now the law goes out but it's for the benefit and only the benefit of the people who hear it and do it. It's a blessing. This is like a good thing. Today we think, oh, the law going out, that's a bad negative thing. No, this is wonderful. This is what we're waiting for. The difference is, is we're going to understand it. Okay, because not only does it go out, but we're going to learn it. We're going to know it. Right now we're, we're fumbling through things. I don't get it all. But you're going to someday because God is going to teach you himself. And then you're going to do it. You're going to follow it. I've said many times when people ask me about all these laws and Leviticus and whatnot, I don't know. I don't understand it all. And bottom line, I, I, I'm just going to do what God shows me and what I can understand as he teaches me. But I can tell you this, right now we're in Babylon. We talked about that last time. Do you know that when the Israelites were taken to Babylon, they couldn't do all the laws? They were unable to because some of those laws were specific to Jerusalem. You couldn't do them unless you were there. They were specific to certain uh, other prerequisites. Right now, we're in Babylon, just like the Israelites were in Babylon, and they couldn't keep everything. Once they were brought back, they were expected to. Once we are out, taken out of Babylon, he's going to teach us and we will do it. I believe we will keep all of Torah. Okay, We won't need to do any of the sacrifices, of course. Jesus has done that. But all these other things, I believe we will. And we're going to understand why. And it's going to be a joy. So... When this happens, this is why this is my favorite feast. It's because he's going to come up and clean up our mess. All of our misunderstandings, all of our false theologies. I mean, I myself have had things that I have believed when I was younger that I no longer believe. And I'm sure that there are some things that I just don't quite get right now. But 
It's about the journey and the walk and chasing after God. But when He comes, it'll all be straightened up. And I can't wait for that. Right. Yes, true. Good point. Yeah, some of those things that were basically for guilt and for things that were, yeah, you won't be able to do those. But So what it's going to look like, I don't know. All I know is he will teach us. That I know. Then we shall see clearly. Yep. Yep. Isaiah speaks of the end times in similar ways. Exact same thing. This is a repeating thing throughout the, the Bible. It shall come to pass in the last days, so now we know the timing of it, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established and all nations, remember this is called the Feast of Nations, shall flow unto it. Now, the mountain of the Lord's house, where is that? That's Mount Zion. Many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. By the way, remember what Zechariah 8.23 said? In the end times, ten Gentiles are going to grab onto the hem of one Jew and say, let us go with you. We've heard God is with you. Take us with. Where are they going? To Jerusalem. All of these things are saying the same thing. It says, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Why? Why are you going to Jerusalem? Just to be protected? No. He will teach us His ways and we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law. See, folks, we're not done with the law. We just don't understand it properly right now. It says, again, Torah there, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. There will be no more evil. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. Remember we talked about this festival has a lot of lights. It was Jerusalem being called the, the, the city or the, the light on the hill. What is it? Now I can't even remember what it was called. The city on a hill. Thank you. Uh, because of, it could be seen. The light of the world. Thank you. So, again, God is going to set us straight. And Isaiah is showing here what Moses was doing every seven years, which is, again, the exact same thing we just got done reading. And it is symbolic of what Jesus is going to do when he comes back at the end. So, what's going to happen? The nations are gathered to Jerusalem. The word goes out so that you learn it, and you will be able to do it and follow it. Micah. Getting a third testimony here of the same thing. In the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord, Mount Zion, shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people will flow to it. Just what we've been reading. Many nations shall come. Gathering the feast of nations. And say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Why? And he will teach us his ways, and we will walk, do, basically, in his paths. For the law, Torah, shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Micah, Isaiah, and what was the first one? Now, I already forgot. What was it? 
Deuteronomy, yep. So, yeah, Deuteronomy, Isaiah, Micah. Go ahead, Jordan, did you have something? Some say chief of, of mountains, basically. In other words, it's going to be the most important. Not necessarily, Not necessarily height. Geographic yes. Well, yep. I, I just didn't know because yeah. of This translation. Yeah. Yeah. Other translations and in other ver versions or other verses will talk about chief among the mountains, basically meaning more of its importance, not its elevation. So that's a good question, though. Nehemiah 8 also agrees. Now, Nehemiah, remember, they're coming back out of Babylon. That's significant as well, the timing of this. They've been captive in Babylon. Now they are allowed to come back to Jerusalem. That in itself is very symbolic. All the people gather themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. Now, Last time on whenever Wednesday, I was telling you how the priests would go out and get water out of the Pool of Siloam, where they went out the water gate to do that. Same, this is what they did for years and years and years and years. So the water gate. So it goes on and it says, They spoke unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel upon the first day of the seventh month. That is the Feast of Trumpets. So what's happening? They're gathered to Jerusalem. And now we see at the Feast of Trumpets, the law is to be brought out. And look what, as it continues. He read therein before the street that was before the water gate from morning till midday before the men and the women and those that could understand and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. The law is simply read. I would kind of guess that if all I did was read the law to you, from morning till midday, very few of you would show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but this is exactly what they were doing, guys. They were simply reading the law. And you know what? Their hearts were broken. They were convicted and pricked to the heart because you know what at this time they had been taken captive and you know when a loved one dies when you're going through hardship the world fades away and only one thing matters these guys had gone through hardship they don't know what things are going to look like they were in desperate need and because of that their spirits were ready to receive the law. They were attentive, not bored, but attentive. So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. In other words, explained it and caused them to understand the reading. The same thing we saw in Micah, Deuteronomy, Isaiah. They gather together, the law goes out so that they can learn it and understand it. Yep, they were given the meaning. And it goes on, And on the second day were gathered together unto Ezra the scribe, even to understand the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel 
should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. Sukkot. When is this happening? Right now, this festival. They would read and they were commanded to dwell in booths. Because as I said, this is a picture that when God comes to Zion, He is going to be our sukkah. And the Lord is going to teach us and we will do it. It goes on. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths, as it is written. That's why we have our sukkah decorated out there. And thank you to all who helped get that done. It's decorated with lights. We see branches in it. This is why. Also, day by day, from the first day unto the last day, he read in the book of the law of God. Every day they were reading in the book of the law during these festivals. And they kept the feast seven days. That's what we're doing. And on the eighth day was a solemn assembly according unto the manner. So, here we see seven-day festival, eighth day added on to it like I said. Now, we're going to see more about this tomorrow. I'm just going to kind of close out here with a couple of slides. Torah. Torah is very similar to the word yara, meaning to flow as water. And so the Jewish rabbis have long, for centuries, seen Torah as a picture of water. The Word of God, water. So those, it's very significant, Jesus calling himself the living waters. He is the living Torah. That is exactly what he is. The word, the Torah, made flesh. Joel, Hosea, Psalm, Ezekiel, Habakkuk, we see all of this. Hosea saying, He shall come down like rain on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish in abundance of peace until the moon is not. He shall also have the rule from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. When the Lord comes back, He's going to come back as a latter rain. We talked about that on one of the earlier messages. He's coming down like rain, like the Holy Spirit being poured out. All of those kind of things are pictured here. But anyway... The point being is the Torah is going to come down like flowing waters at the Feast of Tabernacles, like all these other verses said. And I look forward to that. Here in John chapter 7, in the New Testament, Jesus, after he proclaims himself to be the living waters, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, we'll talk about this in greater depth tomorrow, it says, many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ, the Messiah, the Mashiach. But some said, shall Christ, the Mashiach, come out of Galilee? Because they knew their scriptures, and he was supposed to come out of Bethlehem. Right? Well, Jesus did. It says, then answered them the Pharisees, are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers or the, of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. The Jews did not know their law. Now, we think the Jews, they, they knew the law. No, they didn't. 
This is why Jesus keeps rebuking them. They had a lot of man-made laws. And God's laws, they had treated with contempt. They had treated them, you know, he says, you break God's laws for the sake of your own traditions. And they did not understand the spirit of the law. It was just as Romans says. And so the Jews who sought to obtain righteousness did not obtain it. Why not? Why didn't they obtain righteousness? It goes on, it says, because they sought it as if it were by works. They did not understand the law. Let me tell you, there's many today in the church who do not understand the law because they think that the law is something to obtain righteousness. That is what the Pharisees thought. And that is exactly what Jesus rebukes them for saying or believing there in Romans. Why did they not obtain righteousness? Because they sought it as if it was by works. They did not understand the law. And like I said, many today don't either. And that law, when we have a proper understanding of it, becomes a joy, not a burden. The people who knoweth not the law are cursed. I want to take you to Jeremiah 2.8 because we'll close on this verse. The priest said not, where is the Lord? And they that handle the law knew me not. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. What I want you to see is just prior to this, we see my people perish for lack of knowledge. We hear that quoted all the time. But what it's talking about and what we see in Hebrew is this. My people perish for lack of law. Go read that again. Go search it out and see and look at the context. You will see he isn't saying knowledge of this doctrine or that doctrine or the political situation of the time. My people perish for lack of law. And when it says, my people have committed two evils, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Remember this, we're going to talk about this tomorrow. Yeshua claims himself to be this very thing. They knew their law, they knew the word, and they knew what he was talking about here. And they have hewned out cisterns that cannot hold water. The Jews have understood this to be that cannot understand the law. They don't know the law. Their cisterns are broken. Their hearts are broken. They can't hold the law in, in them. They can't hold the living waters within them. And that is the picture that you are going to see. And this is why that whole story that we read in the New Testament with that woman bleeding for 12 years goes and grabs onto the seat seat of Jesus' garment. We've talked about this before, but just to remind you, that seat seat is commanded to be worn as a reminder of the law of God, to remember the commandments. 
And it was prophesied in Malachi that the Messiah was going to come with healing in his seat seats. Malachi says that when it says healing in his wings. Again, I'm not going to give you that whole message. But in essence, it's this. There will be healing in his, not the, the physical grabbing onto some cloth, but grabbing onto the commandments of God so that you can understand them, know them, and do them. That's the healing. And that is why ten men from all nations, ten Gentiles, are going to grab onto the hem, the tzitzit of one Jew, Yeshua. Not some Jew you see walking down the street. The one Jew is Yeshua. He is a Jew, you remember. You're going to grab on to the hem, to the law of Yeshua. And say, take us with you. They didn't. So, like, they, so didn't. they knew what he was saying. Well, maybe they didn't know what he was saying. Yep, they didn't. <laughs> and so, this is going to, I want you to remember this, because this is going to be vital to understand what Jesus does when we look at John 8 tomorrow. Just remember this. You're gathered to Jerusalem. The law goes out. You learn what it means so that you can do it. That's going to be vital to understand what Jesus did. And so we will pick up on that part tomorrow. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much again for your law. Lord, I think we need to read Psalm 119 and just commit it to memory again and again. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It tells us as well. Lord, your word has been trampled upon and it our lives, our world, our society, our churches are like broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Lord, heal them that we might understand. We just look forward to the day that you will come and straighten up this mess. That you will allow your law to go out from Zion. That we will be gathered there. And that we, as they did in the days of Nehemiah, are going to rejoice at the reading of the law. So Lord, put that in our hearts and our spirits now and just bless the rest of this evening as we fellowship and talk of you. In Yeshua's name, amen.